Thank you for using your organ. Virgin people say we no longer have an organ. That would be false. We have one if you use it. Matthew 8, beginning at verse 5. The man that Jesus admired. <laughs> so many people over the generations of time have been said to admire Jesus. But the scripture today tells us of a man that Jesus admired. Matthew 8, 5 to 13. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Father, we are thankful this morning for an account that is certainly familiar to a number of us and once again represents that beautiful record in Scripture of a, a collection of Roman centurions who responded to Jesus Christ in such a way in the first century so as to be noted in the record of Scripture in a positive way. There's a real sense in which those Roman centurions reflect the reality that has blossomed in our being here this very day. Help us then as we work our way through the text to see the dynamic authority and ability of our Lord 
Help us then with spirit-opened eyes to appropriate in application the elements of this familiar record for the benefit of our souls. Thank you for each one that is here to hear the word of God. And thank you for our occasion together in this moment of worship and opportunity. We praise you. We express again our thanksgiving to you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Matthew 8, 5, and, and is the first word of the text. It is such a simple word of connection. It is such a simple word of continuation that it is easily ignored. But this word and has grammatical and prophetical significance. Grammatically, it reminds us that the miraculous incident of which we read and study this morning is connected to the miraculous incident before it concerning the leper. And before that, the close of the Messianic Manifesto. The Lord's verbal authority, as recognized at the close of the manifesto, chapter 7, verse 29, is now followed by a series of incidences, a series of evidence of his vital ability and power. Our Lord is authoritative, and our Lord is able beyond compare. Herein we find that the Lord Jesus spoke and acted as only God can do. Certainly one of the mega principles coming out of this section of Matthew has to do with the fact that Jesus spoke and that Jesus acted in ways that only God can do. Capernaum, as named in verse 5, was the city on the northwest shore of Galilee, where, of course, you will recall that Jesus established his home ministry base. This fact directly fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 forecasts that to the land of Zebulun, to the land of Naphtali, uh, through which a major access highway passed, that that is the place where both Jewish and Gentile people, according to Isaiah 9, would see God's great light. You know that the light of the world is Jesus, and here you have God's great light, the light of the Lord, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, in the very place where Isaiah nine said he would come. Verse five of our text tells us that Jesus is in the place of prophetic fulfillment. Now, one of the notable things that bind this first series of miraculous vignettes is the unusual people receiving the Lord's attention and the Lord's care immediately after descending the hilltop and the finishing 
of his verbal manifesto. King Jesus exercises power over disease, helping some very unlikely people. We've read of his touch and healing word to the leper. And now we see the Jewish Messiah bless the nations by healing the servant of a Roman centurion. The first vignette of the leper ends with the testimony to the law of God raised to the Jewish people and their priestly leaders. This second vignette opens the door of our understanding concerning the blessing that is to flow to the Gentiles exactly as the ancient sun seed promise to Abraham forecasted that it would. In vignette number one, Jesus grabs the guy to be healed, and in vignette number two, Jesus is nowhere near the guy when he's healed. I'm excited for us to think about this incident focused upon the military officer, uh, since verse 10 says that Jesus admired the man. The word marveled, as found in verse 10, is used to convey wonderment or admiration. Here is a guy that Jesus admired. I want to know more about that. I trust you want to know more about that. Uh, furthermore, it's apparent uh, to those of you with red-letter Bibles that Jesus had a lot to say on this occasion. And our Lord's own words, as recorded here, help us to discriminate the truth of his authority, to discriminate the truth of his ability, even on a deeper level of our understanding than we have heretofore. Uh, furthermore, the words of the Lord Jesus, the red-letter words of the Lord Jesus in this text, actually name us as a group this morning, and I'll point that out towards the end. Now, just to underscore the unusual collection of vignettes that you have here in Matthew chapter 8, uh, following the Lord's uh, descending the hilltop and the presentation of his uh, messianic manifesto, uh, I, I want to share with you uh, a, uh, a common prayer uh, that was prayed in the first century uh, as construed by rabbinical Judaism. I want to read for you a prayer that was commonly prayed by Jewish men in the first century, a daily prayer now, uh, during this very period in which the record of Matthew 8 was indeed written. Here's the Jewish prayer as construed in rabbinical Judaism. Adonai, I thank thee that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. And to that godless way of thinking, the Lord Jesus, down from the mount, helps one enslaved last week's message, 
a Gentile, this week's message, and a woman, next week's message. You talk about God answering prayer. That's often the way God has to answer prayer because so many prayers are prayed amiss. And Jesus made it clear that the God of heaven was answering prayer in, correct, in, in direct opposition to the common way that Jewish men were praying at that particular time. I just find that absolutely fascinating. Now let's follow the details of the incident here concerning uh, the, uh, uh, the Roman centurion. First of all, Jesus spoke very complimentary words of the officer's discernment in the truth. This officer understood the principles of diplomacy. This officer understood uh, the principles of authority and the principles of command. As a Gentile officer, he would have never asked any Jewish authority uh, to come into his house knowing that Jewish rulers taught that such an action would defile them. I tell you, when Jesus said to the Roman centurion, I will come and heal your servant. <gasps> that was a shock. Because the Jews in the crowd would have thought, no respectable Jewish leader would do such a thing. But the officer understood diplomacy, understood authority, understood command. He expresses his confidence in the authority and command of the Lord Jesus in verses 8 and 9, saying, among other things, Lord, only speak a word. If you want to know why this guy is called as having and possessing great faith, here it is. Lord, only speak a word. It is the officer's confidence and trust in the word of Christ that Jesus commends. Jesus contrasts the faith of the officer with the lack of it among the Jewish nation. Jesus calls the faith of a man great. Think with me for just a moment further as to what made the officer's faith so great. It was great because it was motivated out of a real sense of great need. The servant back at the centurion's home is not just sick a little bit. He is grievously tormented or grievously vexed. It was great because the request of the centurion was motivated out of a real sense of great need. It was great because it was motivated out of a real sense of great kindness. One of the things that struck me when I, I looked at this particular passage again in the original language uh, was the word for servant. Uh, the centurion comes to the Lord Jesus and he says, Lord, I'm coming to you because my servant is sick and is grievously tormented. And the word for servant is the same word that would be used for a son. 
or a close family member. Uh, there is in this, in this account uh, good evidence that this Roman centurion really cared for the people that were on his house staff. He does not have a loose and detached attitude towards those that are in his house. And I'm not just talking about his family. I'm talking about the servants. He has a very personal, invested, kind relationship with the house staff. And so I would submit to you that his faith is great because the need was great. His faith is great because his kindness or care for his own house staff was indeed great. And then thirdly, I say it was great because, obviously, it is fixed to the greatest of all objects. The word of the Lord Jesus. He says, in essence, to Jesus, I know what it is to put people under command. I tell them what to do, and they do it. And so all you have to do is say the word, and it'll be done. Did the man have such a developed sense of theology that he was actually thinking about who indeed would be commissioned out of heaven's throne to take care of this matter? I doubt it. But you and I did read this morning in Psalm 91 that the Lord gives his angels charge over us to keep us on all our highways. Rusty? Keep us in all our ways, says the text. Faith in whatever Jesus said won the day. And verse 13 records the happy result. Can I just stop here a minute to say that anytime any person, me, you, or anybody else, anytime any person actually casts their confidence in a word of Christ, the result will be happy. Cast your care upon a word of Christ, and the result will be happy. I just think that's a beautiful thing to point out by way of big picture. Secondly here, Jesus spoke informative words of the Gentiles discovery of the truth. Look at verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall set down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if verse 11 was about the state of Michigan, and it's not, but if it was about the state of Michigan, it would cover us all. If verse 11 was about the state of Michigan, Jesus would have said that many shall come from the east. That would be me. I came from Bay City. And from the west, here you are. <laughs> many would come from the east and the west and would sit down with Abraham. Isaac and Jacob in the coming kingdom of heaven, that there would be a relationship to Michiganders, to the promises of God given to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 2. 
That's a phenomenal thing. But Jesus, of course, wasn't talking about Michigan. But he was talking about his own location there. And yet I submit to you that east and west is still significant to you and me this morning when you think about verse 11, because Jesus said that many shall come from the east, what would be east of the Middle East, what would be the eastern part of the nations that would come towards Christ over, over uh, 2,000 years plus in faith and come under the umbrella promise of sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, it says west. You and I live in the west. And you and I who are of the west have come to Jesus and live under the umbrella promise that someday we will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, uh, and be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that a thrilling thing to think about? Jesus on this occasion makes an astounding prophecy concerning many peoples, both in number and variety, many in number and variety, that will sit down with the Jewish patriarchs in the kingdom of heaven. That is an amazing statement, for it speaks of men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that everybody there that day and everybody here today knows are dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. And yet a banquet is planned, and they will be in attendance. And you and I, with faith in Jesus Christ, will attend that banquet with them. That's a phenomenal thing to think about. Of course, it requires the truth of bodily resurrection. If there is no bodily resurrection, if all we do is resurrection on the blue goo and just we're just spirits hovering around in the, in the goosh of life, well then, who cares about a burger? But if we're resurrected in the body, then sitting down at a banquet, it can be kind of enjoyable. And to be a guest at that table, wow, wow. What a blessing. There's a banquet I will attend. <laughs> There's a banquet I will attend. This amazing statement is truly profound for it demands a literal resurrection and a physical representation of the kingdom in days ahead. In other words, it just can't be purely spiritual. The clear statement of Jesus demands a spiritual and physical reality. That's important for our eschatology and the way that we're going to read the rest of the Bible. It's amazing that God's plan for Israel would indeed include provisions for nations or Gentiles like you and like me. This is an amazing, uh, amazing statement for it confirms the things of course, that were said by the Old Testament prophets. Take a moment and, and just flip quickly, keep your finger in Matthew 8, but flip back to Isaiah chapter 11 and the prophecy concerning Messiah, 11.1, 1, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. David is the first man of 
house promise, the Davidic house promise that God gave to him uh, of a forever throne and one that would ultimately sit on that throne forever. Again, 11.1 says, And there shall come a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign, for a banner, for a, a, a flag, if you will, of the people. If you want to rally people in a spot, you put a, you put a, a white cloth or a yellow cloth on a, on a stick and you wave it like this, and the people rally uh, to the flag. They rally to the banner. They rally to the ensign. And here, uh, the prophet Isaiah is saying that uh, to this rod uh, that uh, pops out of the stump, to this branch uh, of the Lord that comes from the loins of Jesse, the Davidic house, uh, that uh, uh, that uh, one who comes will stand. He will stand as a banner, as a flag waving uh, of the people. To it, to the banner, to the flag waving out of heaven, which is Christ, to it shall the Gentiles Seek. And his, the flags, the banner, the root, the branch, the Christ, his rest shall be kabood. Hebrew word for glorious, exalted, profoundly, and eternally impactful. What a beautiful prophecy that is in microcosm being fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13, when a Roman centurion, not a Jew, comes to Jesus praying, asking, beseeching for his servant. And Jesus says, I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, Lord, no, I'm not worthy to have you come. But just say the word, just speak the word, and my servant will be, will be okay. Wow, what a beautiful beginning of fulfillment of Isaiah 11. And when I look out across the congregation this morning, I say, what a beautiful continuation of fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 11, as people from the east and people from the west are coming to Jesus. And is that, as a result of that, have this promise, this umbrella promise of in a future day sitting down and, uh, and being a part of a, of a fellowship, a feast and fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I do want to read for you, and if you're quick in turning your Bible, then you can go there. If not, just get back to Matthew 8 and 
hunker down. Uh, but if you are good with your Bible and finding places, look quickly at Romans 15, 8 to 13. I just want to read it because it's such dynamic commentary on everything I just said about Matthew 8 and everything that I just said about Isaiah 11. I'm reading Romans 15, 8 to 13. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, there's that word again, 15.9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Esaias saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. What a beautiful commentary on Isaiah 11 and Matthew 8, 5 to 13. Third thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus spoke very sobering words of a disturbing truth. I'm talking about verse 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're a Bible student, your brain should poop and then you should think, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then your brain should, boop, and then you should think, uh, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. Those verses are important to this statement. But what a phenomenal statement this is. Jesus is herein predicting in real time the rejection of him by the Jewish nation of the first century in order that he might present himself in the will of God to die for our sins, to be buried, and to raise on the third day. Here is a beautiful prediction of first century Jewish rejection. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word but, at the beginning of verse 12, introduces the contrast to the fellowship of the Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom as depicted in verse 11, 
with the disturbing news that many so-called sons of the kingdom will in fact be cast into vexation, into eternal torment. There's an undercurrent here. You're presented with one, a beloved servant, of one who on earth was cast into torments, but relieved by the Lord. And then you have in this same passage, many who are cast of the Lord into torments, which is required because of their lack of faith in the Lord Jesus. That's a powerful undercurrent. That's a powerful contrast. Many people in that day who thought themselves to be the focus of God's promise were not. And many people who thought themselves left out of God's promise were proven to be in. Are you out? Or are you in? And if in your soul the Spirit of God whispers and says, you know, you're out. You need to listen to that. Because in an area such as this, there are many who, because of their last name and family, believe that they have some kind of surety and standing with God, who have never personally responded to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're not saved because Grandpa is, and you're not saved because Grandma is. Uh, you're saved because you have responded to the truth of Christ yourself. Many Gentiles would be present and many Jews would be absent in the kingdom of heaven to come. So said the Lord. And why? Well, simple. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the children of Abraham's spiritual faith not the descendants of Abraham's physical body that dwell in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to read more about that, you can open your Bible to Galatians 4 when you get home this afternoon. That was a shocking word to those that heard it in the hour of the Lord's presentation. In conclusion, we see that Jesus spoke words of deliverance, verse 13, and healing, the centurion's servant, and that it aligned perfectly as to timing back home, back at the centurion's home, with the time frames as Jesus spoke the word, verse 13. I want to look specifically at the instruction and the connection to the centurion's faith as we land the plane this morning. And Jesus said unto the centurion, verse 13, Go thy way, 
and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. You could, you could make that a benediction in a local church if you were really confident that everybody in the local church had trusted Christ as their personal Savior. You could say to a bunch of saved people, hey, go your way. As thou hast believed, so shall it be done unto thee. That'd be a wonderful blessing if you only were confident that everybody was saved. The servant's healing was tied to the focused faith of the centurion. Does this mean that focused faith in Christ always results in personal desires fulfilled? No. No. Paul had focused faith in Christ and desired to be relieved from a thorn in the flesh to which God said that his grace was sufficient to continue to bear that problem. Herein, Matthew 8, the Lord held the great and specific faith of the Gentile centurion in him in contrast to the lack of faith in God held by the Jewish nation at large. Capernaum, as to a named city, literally means village of comfort. And the Gentile centurion found his comfort in the Jewish Christ of divine authority and ability. The Gentile hope of record in Matthew 8, 5 to 13, was exclusively in the Jewish Messiah. The kingdom of God is not secured by earthly birthright or lack thereof, but by personal faith in Jesus. The kind of specific faith that you see here exercised by the Gentile centurion is the faith that pleases God and reaps the promised reward. In this, another unusual incident of record, Matthew demonstrates the ability of the authoritative Christ so that you and I can be once again convinced afresh that there is a Redeemer, Jesus, the Christ, the Lord of glory, that we would trust him and obey him and love and adore him, for he who came surely comes again. And all God's people say, Father, help us then to be responsive. And as we sing the truth one to another, with the hymn of response appointed for this month. May we think of the words of truth that we sing concerning Christ and the hope that rests exclusively in Him. This we pray in Jesus' name and for His blessed sake. Amen.